Hello, this is Dennis Sanders. Today on the podcast, we look at the end of days and the second coming of Christ. This is episode 148 of Church and Maine. Welcome to Church in Maine, the podcast that is at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Happy summer. So I want to take you back to the summer of 1979. I was about nine years old, and this evening I'm sitting in the basement of my church in Flint, Michigan, and I, along with a lot of other youth, were there to see a movie. It was called A Thief in the Night. Now, this was the first in a series of movies that was created by uh, director Donald Thompson. And it's about these uh, movies about, and there are four of them, I believe, were about the rapture and the tribulation. I always found this interesting. They were all made uh, mostly in the 1970s. I think maybe one was maybe early 80s. This first one was made in 1972. Um, It was a hit among evangelical Christians. about talking about the end times and about how things would end. Um, It was always an interesting movie because it's kind of talking about the end times. And this guy is, grew up and and lived in Des Moines, um, Iowa. So I just always found it a little bit interesting talking about, you know, the rapture and the tribulation, you know, Armageddon and all of this taking place in Des Moines. Not the place that I would expect that all to be taken place, but, you know, that's where it was filmed, so that's where it happened. But I remember seeing that film in 1979 and seeing it in the basement, and I saw one of its sequels a few years later, and both of those films scared me silly. I remember that night, I couldn't sleep. I was totally afraid that, frankly, I was going to be left behind to use the phrase of another hit uh, series of books and films on the end times. And um, that I was going to have to face all the horrors that that movie talked about. You know, that movie was and, and came out at a time when there was a lot of interest about the end times, the 1970s, especially and the 1980s. There were lots of movies and books and films that came out all talking about the end times. And there has long been an interest in, in, in how things will end. Uh, Christians, and, and not just evangelical Christians, hear and read in Scripture about Jesus returning, and they want to know, what does this all mean for us? And among many evangelicals, having grown up in that community, there's a lot of talk about when Jesus will return. And sometimes to the point of people saying they know exactly when Jesus was going to return. But when it comes to mainline Protestants, there's a lot of silence, especially among pastors. I think for pastors, there's 
a lot of confusion about how best to talk about all of this and, frankly, to figure out what does this all mean. And that's where my guest today, Robert Cornwall, comes in. Along with Ron Allen, these two ordained ministers in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, my denomination, decided to write a book on the second coming of Christ and the end times and the afterlife that is called Second Thoughts About the Second Coming, Understanding the End Times, Our Future, and Christian Hope. Bob is a minister at large withstanding in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. He retired uh, as a pastor at Central Woodward uh, Christian Church Disciples of Christ of Troy, Michigan in uh, June 2021. Before that, he served in um, other churches, especially on the West Coast, where he is from originally. Um, He serves as the editor of Sharing the Practice for the Academy of Parish Clergy, and he holds a PhD in historical theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. I have known um, Bob for years. Um, I'm looking forward to, I I really was excited to get to talk to him on this topic, something both of us coming from evangelical backgrounds, to be able to talk about this and what does it really mean for our faith. So I hope that you will enjoy this. So now let's listen to uh, Robert Cornwall as we talk about the end of days. I am glad that you are able to take the time to chat with me about your book, Second Thoughts About the Second Coming. I'm looking forward to having the conversation. So um, one of the people that I actually like to read a lot and listen to on podcasts is um, uh, Jonah Goldberg. Um, if you're familiar with him, he was from National Review and now on the, the, the Dispatch and one of the things he likes to do on his podcast whenever he has a book that he wants to talk about is to simply ask the most basic question, which I will go ahead and ask you right now. What is your book about? Okay. So uh, the title is Second Thoughts About the Second Coming. So that would give you a clue that the book is mm-hmm. about the second coming. However, uh, the the subtitle gives a little more clarity. It's Understanding the End Times second coming, uh, future, our future, and Christian hope. And I think that in many ways, that's that last piece of it, the Christian hope that we that we hope, Ron Allen and I, as co-authors of the book, want to communicate. And so basically, it's, a, it's for a general audience. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I mean, we want clergy to read it, uh, but it's written with, uh, non-clergy, congregants, regular church people uh, in mind. Uh, And so we wrote the book uh, for a specific purpose. Both Ron and I, being disciples, uh, who spent a lot of time in congregations, he as uh, as a professor and then teaches everywhere in congregations, and I as a pastor uh, for 25 years, encounter lots of people in mainline churches who have questions about the future, about judgment, about 
you know, this thing called the millennium I heard about, and or I read Tim LaHaye, and is that the biblical message? Uh, and what we know is that clergy, people like me, would rather not talk about it. They don't preach about it. They don't teach about it. The last thing they want to teach about is the book of Revelation uh, or any of these kinds of things. And yet those are topics that their congregants are interested in. And when they don't hear from their pastors, where they go are places like Tim LaHaye uh, or back in the day, Hal Lindsey. And so what we wanted to do was to create a resource for congregant, congregational conversation uh, to assist clergy, pastors, uh, helping their congregation deal with questions that they have about what the future looks like. So the big theological term, of course, is eschatology. Uh, but, um, you know, it's, it's a broad conversation. Uh, we do have a section at the the, the last section of the, of the book deals with afterlife, mm-hmm. uh, which is another topic that's, that many clergy shy away from uh, because it's there's so many different perspectives and possibilities. So that's kind of what we want to do is we, we, we create a resource for conversation, uh, try to have a fair, to discuss it fairly, uh, mm-hmm. responsibly, uh, without always taking a position, at least not until the end. Uh, because the the point is isn't what Ron and I believe as much as what do you believe and why do you believe that and what does Scripture say what does history say what are the what are the various theological perspectives out there uh, that speak to these issues uh, which one feels right to you which one speaks to you. And uh, and that's the kind of the, the basic purpose of the book is is to to stir conversation about topics we believe are on the hearts and minds of people in our congregations. You know, you said something just now, and then in reading in the synopsis that fascinated me, especially with mainline pastors, is that they don't they shy away from talking about Revelation um, or or the end times. Right. Why do you think that is? What is it about this topic that keeps them quiet? The excuse given is that we want to deal with the present. And so end times and all of that, that's that's way out front. That's, you know, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know anything about that. Uh, and so we feel uncomfortable. So we're going to deal with present issues. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a, a, a discomfort with these questions because people struggle. We all struggle. I continue to struggle, and I wrote a, wrote a book on the topic, and I read about it, and I thought about it for pretty much my entire life. Um, but there's still much more to learn uh, about it. So I think there's a sense of, of uncertainty about exactly what to say. And then when we... We encounter people in our congregations who, who say, "Well, you know, I read Tim LaHaye." Uh, what we want to say is, "Well, that's not biblical," but we don't know why it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, what you know, what we want 
we struggle with saying, you know, there are a variety of perspectives and there always have been a variety of perspectives. And uh, the future, you know, it's the future's way out there and we don't know how it's all going to work out. But it's what what makes the most sense to you is the key. And I think there's just a, a sense of we'd rather talk about other things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is fascinating that you seem to bring up is that how we look at the future really influences how we look at the present. Could you say more about that? So if we believe that Jesus is coming back soon, Mm -hmm. then there is a tendency to focus on getting your life together because you want to make sure you're ready for Jesus to come, right? Mm -hmm. And we see this in, in the New Testament. I mean, there is this strong sense in Paul uh, and in the gospel writers that the assumption is the end is near. The time of judgment, the day of the Lord is coming soon. My guess is, and I'm not in Paul's mind, that he would be quite surprised that we're still here 2,000 years later, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes people in modern times, we've seen this, when you think that Jesus is coming soon, like in the next 10 years or so, you may make decisions about your life that are problematic. Mm. And sometimes you're a politician and you make decisions that are problematic, like, well, we don't need to to worry about climate change because, you know, it's going to take us 50 years or 100 years. We're not, you know, Jesus is coming back in 10 years, so why bother? So there's that side of the thing. But I think that the same thing is that there is a sense of of the future is a sense of we don't know what the future holds, but there is a sense that we, whether you believe that God has everything planned out, which I don't believe that, but that there is there is a purpose, that there is something to work for, to work toward, that we don't get, we need to deal with the present, obviously, but where's the present going? Because the present moment is for just now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the future, this brought, you're going to post this uh, podcast. That's the future. We're talking now, but but it's going to have future implications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the future is tomorrow. The future is 10 minutes from now. And so how, where are we going? How are we? So that um, that's why I believe that the future impacts the present because we want we need to think about where are we going okay and where does god want us to be going and where does hope fit into this because it does sound like where you're talking about here is also about hope yeah so too often and i guess this is one of the reasons why we wanted to write the book is and why we have that phrase there is that too often when we think about the future and we think about you know Jesus coming, we think of Armageddon, right? We think of uh, of destruction, of judgment, um, but that's not the only message. That's probably not the major message in Scripture when it comes to the future. the the future the, the 
the message is one of of hope, of of experiencing, of of moving closer and closer into into the presence of God, of participating in the work of God as as we move forward in time. That's hope. Mm-hmm. I don't dread the future. I have hope that that we, that uh, God's purposes will be fulfilled, and I get to contribute to that in partnership with God, and that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I find interesting um, about the end times, and I think one of the things that we may want to do is also do a little bit of vocabulary, um, <laughs> uh, just because there are some, I think, uh, $10 words in there that it right. helps for people. Which is why we have a glossary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it does, it does help. And and maybe we should just go ahead and do that because there are two words that I think one is, is we use it a lot, but we don't really understand its, its roots. And the other one is a word that if you're not a, a theologian, you may not know it that much. Um, so maybe we should kind of talk about that. The first one sure. is apocalyptic. Everyone right. hears that word, and I think we all think we know what that talks about. Um, and then the second word is the is the big ten dollar one, eschatology. Right. What do those two words mean, and and what are their significance here? Right. So when we think of apocalyptic, we think of uh, disaster. You know, apocalypse now, mm-hmm. uh, a famous movie of yesteryear. Uh, that um, of Armageddon, it's it's going to be destruction. The word apocalypse is simply revelation. It's the revealing of God, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, you know it's the literature that speaks. Daniel uh, is is the key Old Testament uh, book. Revelation is the key New Testament, but is revealing the purposes of God. So that's you know that's basically what apocalypse now. To be honest, to be upfront, the apocalypse and the revelation of God does often have something to do with judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that, um, but it's not necessarily. It's you know this apocalyptic literature. If we look at it, you know, like Daniel, what is Daniel trying to do? Daniel's trying to speak to a people being persecuted, saying God's present. Don't worry, God's going to take care of things. Revelation's kind of doing the same thing. Uh, the, so it's revealing what God is doing and what God where where the where things are going, in a sense. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with with disaster, though that's the kind of the way we use it. Um, now that other word, eschatology, is simply the study of the future. I would say this the the st- study of God's future. I think that's the better way. It's like the study of the end times, but but eschatology is a larger conversation that has to do with the way we perceive the future. Mm-hmm. And that includes judgment. It includes afterlife and whether there is an afterlife. Uh, what are God's purposes? Uh, what, providence. Those are all parts of the eschatological conversation. So for me in growing up, and I think, knowing a little bit about your own past, there's just something similar is that I right. grew up mostly in the eighties, but a lot of the, and, and an evangelical culture and a lot of that culture kind of was actually the seventies kind of bleeding into the eighties. And so right. that was, as you talked about the late great planet earth with um, 
Hal Lindsey. Um, I also am familiar with the I Wish We'd All Been Ready by Larry Norman. Larry Norman, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember watching a few of the films of, of A Thief in the Night and that whole series, which kept me not kept me basically awake for several nights as a, as a young teen. Um, and so I think in certain parts of our faith of Christianity, there is a way of understanding the end times. Mm-hmm. How is that different than what I think this book is trying to get at? And maybe where right. are they are all, where do they agree and where do they diverge? Right. So, uh, Dennis, you, you grew up in the 80s. Uh, I grew up, I, my coming of age was in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, the and I was at a Pentecostal church uh, in, in Oregon. And, uh, the, you know, Keith Green came to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry McGuire came to town. You know, Eve of, it's Eve funny, Eve of Destruction in the 60s was an anti-war song. When Barry McGuire sang it in the 70s as a Christian uh, singer, uh, it had to do with the end times that, that we're, we're nearing that. Uh, I remember we, my, my, my friends and I, uh, we'd, we would, uh, we, at, at our church, we would, we would uh, stack the chairs mm-hmm. in the sanctuary. Uh, like we would stay overnight in the, san- in the church, believe it or not, uh, without any real supervision. But we would stack the car and we climb on top of the chairs and jump off and have rapture practice. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and, and we were true believers. I mean, I read Hal Lindsey and he said uh, that we would, uh, that, that Jesus was coming back within a generation of the establishment, reestablishment of Israel. And he was very clear that, um, uh, a uh, a generation was 40 years, <coughs> mm-hmm. which, you know, you're 1975, 76. That means you've got about 12 years left of life, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in the next 12. And we truly believed. I mean, we were we bought into it until 1988 and it didn't work so well. And then, of course, by then I'd long since given up on that. Um, but that's kind of the ethos that I I. Uh, I came into this conversation with uh, growing up. What's funny is that Ron Allen is a true blue disciple from, from Missouri. Mm-hmm. He, he had none of that, but growing up, wow. he was, that was not a conversation they had uh, in his church, um, in, in a disciple church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. So, <laughs> so there is a, a we, we've had an interesting conversation about our, about our, um, our path, our paths. Um, so part of it for me is a response to to that portion of my life, mm-hmm. and I mean that's for me is a sense of um, I've been there. I know where people where the thought is. I know why people think that way. I know how you can get sucked into it, um, and uh, and so we want a, a broader conversation. But what's interesting is that. You know, th- that was like that dispensationalist, premillennialist idea. Uh, but you and I are, are disciples. And, you know, Alexander Campbell was a, uh, an, uh, was a post-millennialist, 
which was very prominent in 19th century America. Uh, and the idea was by cre that it's a, almost a, well, it's, it is manifest destiny is, is a, an expression of that is that, you know, the, the, the world is going to get better and be Christianized. It, it uh, supported uh, mainline Protestant missions in the world, this post-millennialist idea, uh, which is very different. Uh, but what's interesting today is is some of the Christian nationalism that we see. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to address some of this is, uh, is that there are many of the contributors to the Christian nationalist agenda are post-millennialists, even though many of the churches that endorse it are pre-millennialists. So there's this kind of mixture there. Um, so we don't necessarily uh, go delve too deeply into that, but we wanted to give enough information that people can kind of go, oh, they can kind of look around the what's going on and they can begin to have a conversation about how is one's view of future of of the millennial idea influencing political movements and uh, that uh, that currently we we thought about and we talked about writing about uh, uh, QAnon uh, but our publisher suggested that uh, they hoped that the book would have longer life than QAnon Mm. (laughs) well that's a that's kind of a good question because you don't know how long the whole QAnon thing would last that um, its roots, the kind of premillennialism, but uh, yeah, but but a lot of the the, um, the conversations that the conspiracy theories that we have out there have their roots in eschatological apocalyptic conversations. So, you know, by having that conversation, you can begin to see how to how. Where do, where do these uh, conspiracy theories fun, uh, erupt? Mm. You know, uh, whether it's QAnon or not. Yeah. So, for people who might not know, how would you define premillennial versus as opposed to postmillennial? So, briefly, a, a premillennialist believes that Jesus is going to come back uh, before the millennium and, and rule for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. A post-millennialist believes that we will create the millennial, the millennium, a thousand years uh, of of Christian uh, dominance, you might say, mm-hmm. and then Jesus will return. Okay. Then there's a third millennial theory, amillennialism, which basically, I mean, um, simply there's no millennium, but basically is that the church age is is the equivalent of um of the millennial reign so that Jesus is reigning already in the church and that has been the dominant position for the most part within Christianity since at least Augustine I mean mm-hmm. it's a view that Augustine embraced the reformers for the most part did though some of them toyed with with uh postmillennialism but but on millennialism Calvin Luther they they kind of uh they were very much Augustinian. So that's mm-hmm. been kind of the dominant perspective in the church broader, more broadly. Uh, premillennialism tends to emerge in times of difficulty. 
uh, because people get antsy and an- anxious about what's going on in the world, and uh, they're hoping Jesus will come and rescue them. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very it 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 pops up regularly in t- in difficult times. Postmillennialism tends to dominate in times when uh, when everything's looking good, and so you know, nineteenth century America, especially post uh, post uh, Civil War. Uh, the idea that you know we've we've abolished slavery and now it's time to get to move on and to and to Christianize the world because that's what we can do. You know, America's mm-hmm. you know God has a plan for America, uh, and that is to get the word out across. You know, we we take Jesus and and Western civilization and and uh, we'll we'll create the the, the a world where Jesus uh, can rule. Mm. I mean, I think it, it is interesting that, again, the 70s and 80s was, I think, a big premillennial era. Um, that was the Cold War, um, I think, yeah. was, was the big driver of that. Yes. So, and I'm curious if that's happening again with some of what we're seeing or, but but you also mentioned kind of Christian nationalism being more post-millennial. Which then makes me kind of wonder. Yeah, the 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 key uh, contributors, Rusis uh, Rushduni, and people like that. Uh, I think Gary North is another one uh, that have uh, laid kind of the foundations for the the, the theological foundations. Tend to be post millennialists, mm-hmm. uh, but for whatever reason, they've mixed in with the pre millennialists. It's just it's a odd combination because they're kind of opposite each other mm-hmm. uh, but but i think that there's this sense of of you know taking premillennials basically look at the world and and like it's going to hell in a handcart and there's nothing we can do about it right mm-hmm. uh christian uh postmillennialists believes to believe that uh that we can create uh uh, a Christian identity, a Christian nation, a Christian world, uh, and it's our responsibility to do that. So Christian nationalism, it's like we want to take over the government. We want to, we want to, we want to institute Christian values and law into onto the, the American people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has its roots in, in, in post-millennialism more than pre-millennialism. Okay. So, Probably one of the things that I'm I'm fascinated also is this focusing on eschatology, and of course, then you know having clergy that we just don't know how to sometimes bring this up. Right. Um, what is the effect when people can get a proper understanding of? the end times or, or eschatology of what that actually means for our faith and, and how we express that faith. My hope, there that word hope, mm-hmm. um, is that front number one, we will kind of recognize that. And this is the historical part is that we've been here before, like, you know, that we've been here many, many times before. Um, and so that might give us a little less anxiety about the future. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the biblical authors spoke to the future and what 
the purposes of God. And they might have thought that, you know, Paul might have thought, it's like, you know, I might, this is going to take place in the next 20 years or so. Um, but we can, we can look at that and see, you know, that um, God is with us in all of this. And that just maybe just gives us a little less anxiety, number one. Uh, number two is that what I find interesting is that movements like liberation theology are uh, eschatological in orientation. They're definitely they they're thinking about where's the where's God working towards the future, and that we are to ca- called to uh, engage in liberating movements. And we have a, a brief section on that. Um, Jürgen Moltmann is a is a you know important theologian. Uh, talks about the you know the theology of hope is rooted in God being out in front of us, um, mm-hmm. you know in the future. Uh, process theology is has a, an eschatological dimension to it. So you have all these, you know, these are mainline uh, theologies that are out there. They're not right wing theologies. They'd be considered left wing, uh, but that they. Um, that they believe that God is is out in front of us, uh, inviting us to to move forward and go into the future. Uh, so I think for me that's that's the key piece. Is that I know I don't. It's not like God is only with me right now, or that God's stuck in the past. But God is out there in the future, out ahead of me, beckoning me to come and join in God's work. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of I think is is a hopeful kind of piece is that, uh, that God is, a uh, is setting the path for me. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if, and I'm kind of an open, uh, theist kind of person. So I don't believe that the future is totally written. Uh, so, uh, but I do believe that God is, uh, I don't think God's making it up as God goes along. I believe that God has, uh, uh as I would do, it's like, uh, if I'm going to drive to California, uh, you know, I may take some, I may move around, but I know where I'm going. I'm going to go to California. It may take me longer than I expect. I may stop different places and I may take some, some exits I hadn't planned. Um, you know, maybe I blow a tire along the way. Uh, but you know, I know I'm getting, I'm going to California. Uh, and, uh, and I kind of feel like that's, uh, the way it works with God, you know, mm-hmm. God is there, and but God works with us in our variety of ways of uh, of stopping and starting and going the wrong direction. Does that make sense? It does, and I it, it was interesting in talking about liberation theology and um, eschatology, and at first thought that doesn't seem to make sense, but what I understand about liberation theology. I think what I understand a little bit from what I, my own understanding of black theology, which is an liberation theology, right. that, you know, there is a sense of hope, um, a sense of God working in the future that the, what we are seeing now is not the only thing that's all that there is, that right. you know, this isn't um, the end of everything. Right. Yeah. If I can put it that way, but that the end is, is different. It it can be different. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's a lot of uh, Kesemon and Moltmann, you know, were influential on, on some of the m- movements. Uh, James Cohn says that Kesemon was the only the only uh, European theologian who who got him. So, mm. uh, which I find in- interesting. And Kesemon's theology, like Moltmann's, was uh, was future oriented. Mm-hmm. So, so, where does judgment fit in? when it talks about eschatology and apocalypse and end times and all of that, because, you know, growing up again, that was also a major part of it, but that is a part. If you read books like um, in the Bible, such as revelation or Daniel judgment does fit in there. What does it, what does that mean? That's, you know, that's the, for, especially for, for progressive liberal mainliners, this whole idea of you know loving God and justice, the wrath of God, um, we we would rather not have that conversation. Um, I, I tend towards universalism, uh, uh, and my thinking on that, in, especially in recent years, has has been influenced uh, by my forays uh, into Eastern Orthodoxy in terms of. Hmm. Uh, not in terms of becoming Eastern Orthodoxy, but mm-hmm. reading Eastern Orthodox theologians uh, and the the idea of that that really goes back to origin, but is uh, people like Gregory of Nyssa and others uh, reinterpret that uh, in less um, problematic ways, I suppose, than than origin. But that we're moving toward that the ultimately that. Uh, there will be the restoration of all things. Mm-hmm. Origin had this idea, and, and it was funny. I was I was on a different podcast and talking about uh, what had to do with hell because uh, I contributed a book to a book about deconstructing hell. Um, is that uh, you know Origin and others like him um, believed that ultimately evil e- evil cannot exist ultimately it. It has to go away, mm. uh, but we won't go away, but evil does. So that which is evil will be purged from us in some way. And mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I made the comment, if if you look at historically with the question of hell, and we don't get too much of that into this book, but it kind of addresses the conversation here, is what's interesting is that when we get to the Reformation, uh, the reformers basically took wholesale medieval understandings of of judgment, right? That uh, there would be be judgment, uh, and basically, there the the two options are heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. Whereas Catholicism and and Orthodoxy both have this idea of, in one form or another, of some kind of pur- purgatory. purgation, yeah, or pur- purgatory, and. You know, as I as I've studied this and thought about it, I think that was ultimately. I understand why they got rid of pur- uh, purgatory because of indulgences and all of that that went with it. But ultimately, it removed an element of it, <laughs> that that decide that that we could ultimately that which is evil in us that which is bad in us could be purged from us however that would take place so mm-hmm. in that sense judgment isn't 
to throw me into hell for eternity, but judgment is to take is, is facing the reality that there are pieces of my life, and I know, and you know, we look back at our life, and there are pieces of our life which we go, oh, I wish I'd not done that, um, and only God knows mm-hmm. <laughs> what those things are, hopefully, um, and uh, and so we we would like that to all go away. Um, so in the sense that judgment doesn't throw us to hell, but that it, it makes us face the realities, I think that there is there is a place for judgment in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't believe personally in hell, mm-hmm. I do believe that there we do face in some way or another a judgment, mm-hmm. that we have to face that which is part of us that is not of God. Mm. Well, I, I think at times we... You know, and I didn't try to define judgment there. I mean, I think that that does exist. I don't right. think it necessarily I, because I think sometimes we think we, we equate judgment with punishment, right. and um, yeah. I don't know if that's really what theologically what that means. But mm-hmm. you know, and, and I do wonder if by removing, as Protestants did, purgatory, if we also removed a sense of God's grace working um in people um, right that can allow for as you're saying burning off those parts of the sin that are there um that you know the whole concept of judgment isn't doesn't necessarily have to be eternal damnation right it can be about accountability um yeah you know that it, it's it's really about facing up where we have fallen short and you know, right all of that to, to that extent so yeah i i, I guess it's a long way of saying i'm probably closer to where you are on, on the concept yeah of yeah um it's not something that you know i spend a lot of time thinking about and yet mm-hmm. it's there and it has i mean you know it's funny we preach on protestant uh, liberals love matthew 25 mm-hmm. which is number one an apocalyptic judgment scene uh exactly. and this, the division between the sheep and the goats of course, we all think that we're sheep and not goats. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's those other people that are the goats and not us. Um, but that's a favorite of progressives. So we t- we do talk a lot about judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that we're hoping that we don't have to face it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So this kind of really leads to a concept that is related to all of this, and that is the afterlife. And Mm -hmm. I know that you talk about that a little bit in the book. Right. And again, that is also a topic that you say pastors don't really like to talk about much. Why do you think, again, I I guess I asked the question again, why do you think that that is? I mean, is it that we struggle with that, even though people have questions about that? I think the key piece is we're not sure what we believe mm. about about what the afterlife is. So I know many colleagues that aren't sure whether there is an afterlife. You know that that this I, that resurrection we talk we hear a lot about resurrection. Jesus' resurrection being metaphorical, um, and um, and so since we're not sure. We would just rather not talk about it, and yet every pastor has to do 
well, most every pastor does funerals, right? We all do funerals, uh, yeah. And if I if I were to preach, if I were to do a funeral, and I do quite a few, and uh, I said, well, you know, it, it's been it's been nice knowing Joe. Um, he lived a nice life, and that's it. Um, that doesn't do much for anybody. So the question that, and what we did with the book was lay out a variety of perspectives because, you know, there's the idea of bodily resurrection. There's the idea of a disembodied souls. Um, there's, uh, you know, pro some forms of process theology says that when we die, we die and that's it. Uh, we, we live on in a sense in the mind of God, uh, but in terms of personal continuation, uh, we're not there. So we lay out the possibilities, and and the and the reality is is that we kind of mix them together. In, in, in for most people, I would say that most congregate members of our congregations, they're not sure whether we're disembodied souls or resurrected bodies, or when that takes place, but. We assume, and we kind of address this in the book, I would say that most people in our congregations assume, even though the scripture kind of suggests that, you know, when we die, we kind of, well, we're kind of, uh, the body doesn't get resurrected until the end, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we're not sure what happens to the rest of us, uh, but we're Everybody I know in almost in all of my ministry, for the most part, assumes that that their loved ones who passed away are waiting for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and whether or not that's biblical and it's probably not, uh, it's comforting. And we don't know because none of us. Well, you know. Depending on the way you see these things, I, I'm not a big believer uh, in uh, uh, you know the people who come back because uh, uh, all they see is a light, and then maybe they see a loved one or whatever. Um, but um, we don't really have any evidence of what's on the other side, right? So it's who knows. And I think what well, ultimately we we go with what is the most comforting, which is. When we die, we we see our loved ones, um, even though there's no uh, there's no evidence in Scripture. Jesus says, you know, it's like uh, there's no marriage in heaven. Uh, you know, we're it it's not part of the conversation mm -hmm. uh, scripturally. Um, but I think it's something that emerged over time uh, and historically because it makes sense that we will some form we we see our our loved ones it just it's there um and who am i to say you're wrong because i don't know mm -hmm. you know so I, I i as a pastor i try to bring comfort and say i believe in the resurrection how that all works out on the other side i have no clue uh paul talks about spiritual bodies don't know what those look like but you know, in the Gospels, Jesus kind of goes, walks through walls and stuff like that, and appears suddenly. Mm -hmm. I yeah, don't know. I'm, yeah, we don't really know all of that. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that it, it is uh, taking it on faith. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that's kind of what we do is kind of like, here are some of the possibilities. Uh, what makes sense to you? Um, uh, Ron and I di- didn't, aren't, I think I'm more of a traditional bodily resurrection kind of guy and Ron's more process and, you know, so that's not necessarily where he's at. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it wasn't like we had a, a position that we wanted to lay out on people, but but say here, here are the variety of ways, and you know which one way makes the most sense to you, um, and what, and ultimately, I think people choose the one that gives them comfort. So as we kind of wrap up here, one of the things though that I was, and you kind of just mentioned it, and it fascinates me is that both you and and Ron Allen, who you have wrote this with, in some ways come from very different backgrounds, um, right. And and have very different understandings of 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 scripture and 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 these topics. How are you able to kind of work together on this and 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 to have a enter into kind of dialogue into these topics? So part of it is Ron and I've known each other for a long time. Uh, uh, kind of this book emerged out of he was this was during my uh, uh, sabbatical in 2019. Ron was up doing a workshop at my church uh, as part of that. And we were having breakfast. um, And Ron said, you know, we should write a book together. And Ron had just published a commentary on Revelation. And I said, Hmm. what if we wrote a book on eschatology? And Ron said, well, that sounds interesting. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) Then we started to think, how are we going to do this? Uh, We approached uh, a uh, one publisher that we won't mention. Um, but they decided that they didn't want to go with us. And then we went to, uh, to Westminster John Knox and they said, yeah, we like the idea. And what we really want is a book that, that will, uh, be for, uh, that can be used in congregations. They wanted something that they could sell to churches, uh, for congregational study. So they were very insistent that, uh, that we, uh, pitch the book at a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ron, so we approached this one is Ron is a biblical scholar and I'm a historian. So he wrote the biblical portions, the first draft of the biblical portions. I wrote the, the uh, first draft of all of the historical sections. And that's like three chapters. So it's a fairly substantial part of the book which I don't know that you see many, especially for a congregational study, that you would see of sections that are as focused on, on history. But I, we believe that the hist- historical portion was really important. Um, and then we kind of divided things up in terms of who was going to write about what. And, uh, and then we, we, uh, we, we then went over e- each other's work. So mm-hmm. I read over and and made com- comments about the biblical portions and raised passages that I thought might need to be addressed and, and things like that. And he raised questions about this historical part. Um, and then, of course, with the millennials, we had a, it was funny because it, I wanted to make sure that we distinguish between historic premillennialism and dispensationalism. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something Ron... Ron just thought dispensationalism and premillennialism, they were one and the same thing. I said, no, there's those two different things. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we had a little bit of go around there. Uh, but basically, um, 
because, partly because the way we had approached the book as one where we weren't imposing a position, uh, it allowed us to um, to bring both of our perspectives into the conversation without it becoming a, a problem. You know, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps if we were we were dealing with something where we where we needed to come up with the same perspective. Um, a more of a polemical book that might have been more of a problem. But Ron and I have worked together on things before, and and we're friends. So it 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 just was one of those things that it was just it was a fun. I think if you ask Ron, uh, and I would say the same thing, this was a most enjoyable uh, project. We both thoroughly enjoyed the process when um, uh, working together. Uh, this is the first time, I mean, I've edited a book in partnership with another. Uh, I've co-authored articles, but in writing and co-authoring a book like this, it's a substantial, it's not a long book, but still a substantial book. Um, you know, you have to bring your, your, your personality into the book and all of that. There is a little, a few challenges there, but, but it was a lot, it was fun. I mean, even though it's the second thoughts about the second coming, you know, I mean, it's uh, we had fun doing it. Well, it sounds like it. And I, you know, like I said, I think that this is going to be an important book for people to read, especially now. Um, and a way of, of really kind of grappling with this issue that I think. I think it's just human to figure out how is this all going to end? And, yeah, um, yeah. So I think that this is you know, whether whether there, whether Jesus is going to come back and bring it all into, you know, uh, in an end uh, uh, day of the Lord or whether, you know, we go until the sun burns up and we burn up mm-hmm. with the sun, which you and I will long be uh, dead and uh, hopefully somewhere else. <laughs> um, who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there is a the science does say that there will come a time when when the sun will uh, get so large that it will uh, uh, take over and eat us up. Uh, but I don't think that'll be in our lifetime. No, I, I think that's, <laughs> a, that's a safe bet. <laughs> so if people want to find you um, on the internet, where can they find you? So I blog at, uh, my blog is called Ponderings on a Faith Journey. Uh, and uh, so it's bobcornwall.com. That's a good place to go. I, I do, uh, uh, as you know, Dennis, uh, I do some uh, lectionary stuff, uh, mm-hmm. and then I review books. Those are the two main things I do. And then other times when I get, uh, when I have time and energy, um, I, uh, I opine on other things. Uh, you can find my um, author page both at on Amazon and at Goodreads. Uh, so you can, uh, would love for you to subscribe, uh, your listeners to subscribe to both of those. You can see all the books that I write um, and that no one reads. Uh, so I'm hoping that that changes. Uh, but uh, uh, so those are the main, the main places I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and places like that as well. All right. Well, Cornwall, who is the co-author with Ron Allen, um, with Second Thoughts about the Second Coming, Understanding the End Times, Our Future, and Christian Hope. Thank you so much. Um, if you are interested, uh, I will definitely, for people who are listening, put the link to um, this book in the in the show notes. So definitely get it. And 
thank you so much, Bob, for, for joining us today. Oh, this was fun. Uh, So it was a, it was great to have uh, Bob on to talk about the uh, second coming of Christ, and I really hope that you will consider uh, getting his book, um, either for your own enjoyment or, or maybe something for your church. Um, there are links to where you can get the book, um, and also links to Bob's blog. Um, it's a it's a blog that is worth worth reading as well. So I hope that you will uh, give it a moment um, to look at. Um, just some housekeeping. Uh, please consider leaving a rating or review of this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That makes it a lot easier for people to find uh, this podcast. Uh, consider subscribing to uh, Substack. It's a great way to. Get the podcast quickly in your inbox once it goes live. And you can go to churchandmain.substack.com to subscribe. Um, there are a number of ep- episodes coming down the pike uh, in the next few uh, days and weeks. So stay tuned to your podcast app for those new ma- uh, that new material. Um, also, uh, just be aware that the podcast might be quiet somewhat during the month of August. I'm going to be uh, taking some time off for the summer. Um, I just say that so that people don't get panic if there isn't a new episode for the three of you that are listening to this. Um, that's why. Um, and I will be back with new episodes uh, come September. But until then, do enjoy these new episodes. I think you will, will enjoy them. Uh, there are, are a lot of good topics that are coming soon uh, for you to listen to. So that's it for this episode of Church in Maine. I, my name is Dennis Sanders. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Godspeed. And I'll see you very soon. <laughs>